Welcome to another episode of the Community Kids Podcast. I am Jackie Jones. I'm Genevieve Jones. Our guest today is Ellen Selstrom. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Thank you so much for being on with us. This is amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Ellen is my former um, summer camp counselor. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm really, and you were a great counselor. Oh, so geez. Thank I'm you. I'm happy to talk to you. Yeah. It's so funny to think about because I'm like, I'm not that much older than you, I don't think. But right. Like, I know. At the I was time, about that. Yeah. That difference between like junior high and high school yeah. guess, feels really big. No, I know. Like I started babysitting when I was 10 and the first family I babysat, the kids were eight and five. And I'm like, you oh let yeah. a 10 year old alone yeah. at night in your house to watch babies, your children babysitting babies yeah exactly. <laughs> totally your horse is watching your dog yep yep <laughs> that's funny what summer camp were you guys at together the work of christ camp yeah work of christ mm-hmm. camp okay. yep the one for um coming out of third grade until coming out of sixth grade were the campers and then mm-hmm. i think counselors were all in high school yeah you had to be ninth yeah. grade so you got two okay. years wow. off and then you could yeah. come back Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that age gap is wild because I went there for two years and I looked at the counselors like full grown adults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yeah. Well, because I think like Pine Hills did it differently because I went to Pine Hills too. Yeah. And, uh, Ann Arbor or like Brighton or whatever. And mm-hmm. they, um, it was like you would finish in ninth grade. Like they did it by what? grade you were going into so like eighth grade going into ninth grade was the last year and then immediately the next year you could come back on staff which is kind of different I guess you couldn't be a counselor but you know it's like you were just there as a camper the year before and then you're back on staff yeah whoa wow well thank you for coming on again uh what drew you to be on the podcast initially um I was super excited that you guys are doing this I think that um you know, I think it's important for people to kind of talk and decompress their different experiences of growing up. I think that um, for a lot of us that aren't really involved anymore, like we just kind of live in our own little silos and we don't get a chance to kind of come together and have like a constructive conversation about why we're not in community. I think as someone who was personally very involved for a very long time in my life, like I, unfortunately, when people would leave, I'd be like, well, maybe they just couldn't handle it or like, you know, Mm -hmm. this wasn't for Mm -hmm. them or they didn't Mm -hmm. like the accountability anymore. And I said that like it was a bad thing. Um, And then having been through my own experience of why me and my husband chose not to participate anymore, I was like, okay, maybe like one that wasn't very fair of me and it wasn't very charitable or loving. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like common stories that I think it's important people hear so they know they're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being willing to share your perspective and your experiences with us. I know it's not always a easy thing to do publicly, but you know, we appreciate it. So did you, uh, were you born into community or did you join by yourself? How did you get involved? Um, Oh yeah, I was born in. So my parents met as single people in community in like the late 70s early 80s um so they got married in community they lived in what's called a cluster where like a bunch of families live in the same neighborhood and then we grew up in that cluster with a bunch of other families and kids around and 
my parents are still involved. Um, none of us kids are involved anymore, but the parents, my parents are very much involved in Lansing and the work of Christ and get a lot of life out of it and still have all those relationships. So, yeah. So you were pretty heavily involved, I know, as a, a member. And then did you end up being involved in leadership as well? Um, yes, I would say so. I, um, I was very involved in everything that we did. And then once I got to college, I lived in household for four years. And I did UCO, oh. uh, University Christian Outreach, and I led women's groups. Um, I was a pastoral leader. And then I ended up working full-time for YouthWorks Detroit for a couple years, like three years, um, and had different, like, oversaw households and with Detroit Summer Outreach, like our mission program, like I was very involved in like helping figure out which people got to come and then leading women's groups and mm -hmm. music ministry, like everything. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Do you mind yeah. just defining what a pastoral <clears throat> leader is? Yeah, I yes. know we've mentioned them, but I don't know that we've like had a really solid <laughs> definition. So that would be awesome. No, absolutely. It's funny because like I uh, I see a therapist once a week and I always have to like explain all these different terms like yeah, you know, yeah my childhood. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> we recommend just sending all therapists to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh, at work recently. Anyway, I don't want to go on a too much of a tangent, but at work recently, like I had this coworker, this male coworker, who was like, "Hey, Ellen, can you send out that report, please? Thanks." And I just like. It was rude of him because we're peers and I know yeah. what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to do it. And I was very annoyed, but I just went ahead and did it. And my boss, who's like awesome, she's this like badass woman boss. And she was just like, why did you do that? Why did you just like cave and do that? And I was like, oh, starts in like 1985 <laughs> when I was born into this. <laughs> Women defer to men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, it just, that was my knee jerk reaction. It was like, okay, yeah. sure, whatever you say. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> oh, anyway, wow. yeah. your question, pastoral leaders. Um, so basically they're kind of like a mentor. Um, I had one of the leaders in community described it as like, it's someone whose eyes are not in your head. So you would meet with them because like sometimes you'll have the coordinators are like the leaders of the community. They're all male. And mm -hmm. sometimes they're like considered on equal status in terms of like their spirituality and their experience, but they still will be each other's pastoral leaders. And so it's really just kind of having someone that you can kind of talk things out with that isn't like in your head. So you can kind of like, usually you would meet with them once a month, once every few weeks and okay. just kind of talk through how's your life going? How's your prayer life going? Um, maybe workshop any like major decisions. So they're not necessarily meant to be like therapists. They're meant to just sort of be like a spiritual advisor or mentor or someone who's supposedly either further along in their spiritual journey than you are, or in the case of coordinators, just someone who's like objective. Okay, it isn't okay. just going to tell you what you want to hear. So, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So is the, is the idea there, like you said, that the coordinators are considered on equal status with one another? Mm -hmm. And so are they considered to be like of a higher, in a higher spiritual status than other members? Um, I, I guess it depends on how they would personally define themselves. Um, but they're definitely like more involved. And I think the expectations okay. of their commitment is certainly going to be 
a lot more rigorous than it would be if you're not. Like if you're going to okay. be in leadership, you need to be at everything and like participate in everything. And Right. Okay. Yeah. So just like a different kind of counseling needed for yes. coordinators then. Okay. Yes. The idea should be that you're like a servant leader, that you're doing it as a service to everybody else and making personal sacrifices right. to right. help the body. It's not about like power and accolades and whatever. Mm-hmm. That's okay. the idea. Okay. 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 <laughs> In your experience, was that idea usually how it went? Um, it's interesting because I grew up in the work of Christ and mm-hmm. I definitely had rosy colored glasses. Um, mm-hmm. but I also had decent relationships with a lot of the coordinators and I did find them to be like fairly humble, good yeah. people. And I personally didn't experience anything negative. Um, yeah not to like be unfair, but like moving to Ann Arbor, it felt a little bit different. It felt like they were on a pedestal, like especially the brothers, like, oh, this person went to X Ivy League university. So we should listen to what they said. Or this person is a CEO of something or other. So we should listen because they're smart because they lead X, Y, and Z. And like, you know, Mm. anyway, that was my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a little bit, um, I was just talking to someone about how Ann Arbor is like regularly rated the city where the most intelligent people live or the most (laughs) highly educated people. Like I think Ann Arbor in general definitely has that like elite. Yeah. Like elitism. (laughs) And the Ann Arbor like Ipsy, you know? Yeah. 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 We grew up in Ypsilanti. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, But spent a lot of time in Ann Arbor and it was always this kind of like, you know, well, Ipsy just has EMU yeah. and the community college and it's lower income than Ann Arbor is like. Right. True, true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because like growing up in Work of Christ, like there was much more of an emphasis on, I think everyone was like ex-hippies in a way. So like there was a lot of emphasis on living yeah. simply, like right. most of the women didn't work outside of the home. A lot of us like didn't wear makeup or we wore the same clothes from the 70s on and like lived simply, had simple jobs, like didn't make a ton of money. We were like educated and put their kids through good schools and like read a lot, but just weren't super fancy and like ostentatious. Like my dad has a PhD and like, I mean, he doesn't like throw it in people's face. Like his name at camp was like Dr. K and like, it was kind of fun, but he would never like insist on people calling him doctor. Like he was just cool about it, you know? Hmm. That's that nice. rang a bell. I feel like yeah. I knew him and I've thought so fondly of him because I immediately was like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. He oh, was assistant director at camp for a long time. He was a counselor. He still, he was supposed to actually go, I guess camp was this past week and he was a handyman, oh, wow. but oh. he came home early. So yeah. Wow. Wild. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I wonder if you'd be okay exploring a little bit, like how that, that kind of influenced how you saw women versus men growing Mm -hmm. up and how that, you know, I know you mentioned earlier, like your default was to just kind of like default to the man and in that Mm -hmm. email at work, like just do it, even though you knew like when you should (laughs) be sending the report. Do you think that lifestyle of work of Christ kind of influenced your experience of gender roles? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think on the one hand, I grew up just not really needing to question anything. Like 
I personally had a much more positive experience being in community in the, in the youth programs than I did. Like I went to public school. I was like one of the few kids okay. in community that mm-hmm. did all 13 years wow. public school. Yeah. Wow. I think there were like two of us. Yeah. <laughs> Me yeah. and my yeah. siblings wow. only maybe like a couple other people. Everybody else did like private school or homeschool at least for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so like I had a lot of really good relationships. Um, I totally bought into all the teachings and everything. And yet at the same time, like I am a natural leader. I am the type of person who sees what needs to be done and wants to step in and take control. Um, and like, I am in leadership in my job, like professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like there were times where, I mean, as a kid, I kind of like just sort of assumed that my lot in life was to like get married, stay in Lansing, stay at home. Oh, well, my idea of being like a, a career woman would have been to like be married, have a bunch of babies and then work for like one of the mission programs, like leading the gap program, like which is a year of service or do something like that. So like, I definitely had a mind for like administration, program management, things like that, but I wanted to do it for like nonprofit or mission. So yeah, yeah. yeah. that's how I saw my role. And I think, I don't know if I told you this, Evie, when we were talking about like, as a kid, it was just sort of drilled into us from a very young age, at least in my family. So like, I'm the only girl. And when I talk about like what I wanted to be when I grew up, I always wanted to be a teacher and I, Mm -hmm. that's like all I wanted to do. And my mom, every time I would bring it up, she'd be like, well, if you have children, it's going to be really difficult because you have to work full time and then they're going to have to be in daycare. So like in second grade, in my little journal, I said like, when I grow up, I want to be an occupational therapist so I can work part time. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh man, tell me that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I have to be conscious of the fact that I'll have children that need me. So early. Yes. Eight years old. Yep. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. I definitely had a similar idea of like, I never even really thought about working. I was like, I'm gonna get married and have kids. And that's gonna be my job. And yeah, grew up and was like, Oh, I don't even know if I want that. (laughs) Yeah, I got into the working world. I just liked it. You know, and I wanted to just do more and make more money and like, just have more responsibility. Yeah. We might hear some um, airplanes. Just, I saw them just yesterday. Out yeah, like you yeah. Got we me. got the air show, the air right, show, and right it's <laughs> I wondered, I because I was out on a hike yesterday, and I saw like a bunch of these like jet planes flying overhead. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I it always is. like it, but it is loud. That's fine. Okay. I could barely hear it. It's like a whisper. Okay, okay good. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna say when I was little, I remember wanting to be a doctor, and then mm-hmm. I wanted to be a lawyer, and then. Um, I I don't know if it was like, I guess around that time I started to really like Mother Teresa and the stuff mm-hmm. she was doing. And then that was like, I remember that being really affirmed, like, that's a great path, you know, to like mm-hmm. become a nun or to devote your life to service or whatever that may be. And then... Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a writer and part of that was like, oh, well, if I'm a writer, I can like write from home mm-hmm. and I don't have to, you know, and then, yeah, ended up in social work. So didn't stray too far from, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, the, the life service, service. <laughs> quote unquote, women's work, you know, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about how much of that is like, 
from like environmental you know just influenced that way Mm -hmm. yeah and we just didn't have like I mean at least in Lansing I feel like in Ann Arbor you guys had way more women that did work at least part-time or full-time and like good examples of it quite a few yeah whereas like Lansing most didn't or if Mm -hmm. they did they like worked for the community or did like secretarial work or whatever and there was a few that are like doctors now and there's more people that work but um, I think just the way that it was talked about made it sound like it was this really bad thing. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's good for the man to be the breadwinner because, you know, women who have too much control can then manipulate and emasculate their husbands. And actually the other day I was like, wow. I wow. found my old Bible. I have all these like talk outlines from years ago. And this was like from a marriage retreat. And it like talks about like feminism and scare quotes and like women manipulating oh. their husband. And that at some point they might need to work in order to like supplement the family income, but really their priority should be caring for the children. And it was like right there, black and white. I was like, it felt like the frog in boiling water. Like it all seems so normal to me at the time. Like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is what makes our life so beautiful. And then mm-hmm. right. That's a great analogy. Like there's that slow indoctrination of ideas, <laughs> like that slow boil. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no way to have a good family life. If you have a non-traditional role, it's inevitably bad for the family and bad for the children and bad for the marriage. Like that's what I believed based mm-hmm. on everything that I heard. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Was there any kind of like, because you and your husband got married while you were both in community, right? Mm-hmm. Was there like marriage counseling or anything like that through the community leading up to your marriage? Not really. Like we each had our own separate pastoral leaders and then I'm Greek Orthodox. So like we met with mm-hmm. our priest once and he was very like, you guys seem like you got it together. Cool. Like, let me know when you want to get married. <laughs> um, and I think that in community, like, like my own family was very supportive. They really liked my husband. They thought, you know, we were a good fit together. But I think in the Ann Arbor community, um, there was a lot of concern that I was marrying someone who was not financially ready to be married, which. Oh, huh. And I had lots of comments like. I think, I mean, when I met my husband, he couldn't drive. He'd had like a disability for a while and he Mm -hmm. hadn't gotten his license and he was almost 30. So Mm -hmm. I had to do all the driving. And because of that, he was like limited. He had a college degree, but like hadn't really had like a professional job Mm because he studied like liberal arts. So his first job when we got together was, I think he worked in customer service at like the DIA, the Detroit Institute of Art. And then he eventually got a job at a pub down the street and was like started as a dishwasher and then like worked his way up to cook. So like he was not the breadwinner. He didn't have insurance. I was the one with the quote unquote better job. I worked for YouthWorks and Mm -hmm. I only had insurance to support me. So there was a lot of ways in which like it was risky quote unquote to like get married. Like we could afford an apartment together. Like we didn't need a ton of money to be married. Um, But I think there are people that were like very concerned that, we were rushing or that we shouldn't get married in those circumstances. And I feel like more Mm. so in Ann Arbor, like my friends would be like, well, of course I'm going to go on a date with this person. They have a good job. Like that was the criteria was they have a good job. Um, Which it makes sense because if your expectation is that like, you're going to get married, have children Mm. and stay home and raise them. Mm. You need to marry a man that has like a good job that can support you. If that's your expectation. Yeah. The idea of the man being the provider fits that right 
and it's good for him and it's emasculating if he can't and da 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 da. Whereas for us, like, I mean, I still feel this. I still believe this. Like when I met him, I just kind of knew, like, I felt like he, I don't know. I just had this like sixth sense of like, it's just going to work out. It's Mm going to be fine. And like, I remember he went to like the adoration chapel in Ann Arbor and he was praying about like, I think I want to be married. I don't want to be single. Um, And he was like, but I don't have a house. I don't have anything. How can I marry? And he was, and he felt like the Lord was kind of like, choose your wife, then build your house together. And that's that's definitely, yeah, it was. And I just had a total peace about it. And I felt like everybody was like fear mongering around me about, Mm. but like the people that mattered that like knew us very well were very supportive. So that was important to me. Like my parents were supportive. Um, people that really truly knew us were like, this is great. And of course I'm an approval junkie. So like I needed that. Um, but then I had like (laughs) pastor leaders and people in my life that didn't know us very well. Um, that were like fear mongering and like, Oh, like I remember I was at an open house and this woman came up to me and like, it was like a couple weeks before our wedding. And this woman came up, she's like, Oh, you're getting married. That's so exciting. And I was like, yeah, I'm excited. It's a couple weeks away. And she's like, what does your husband do? And I was like, oh, he's a cook at a pub. And she just looks at me like, is that going to be enough income for you? And this is someone I did wow. not know oh, <laughs> like, boy. that didn't yeah. know me. Yeah. And I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> and that was like yeah. one of the first like, <laughs> yep. oh, this is the fishbowl we're talking about. Oh. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like, you know, not only is it, um, a thought that someone might have, but also a thought that they feel comfortable sharing with you because you're both part of this group and this environment. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't know you on a personal level, there's like that assumption, accountability to each other mm-hmm. and that like, yeah, we should be able to share everything yeah. immediately. And I think for people that have been in leadership for a really long time, um, mm-hmm. the understanding of what's a healthy boundary and what's your business and what's not your yeah. business gets yeah. very blurred after a while. It gets really murky. Yeah. Cause you're used to sitting in these rooms talking about people's personal business and how to quote unquote help them. Yeah. And everybody has the best of intentions, but at some point it's like, it's really none of your damn business. Like yeah, totally, totally. Oh my gosh. As somebody who's like just starting in the social work field. Let me tell you, hanging out with social workers is tough (laughs) because everyone's just like, oh, yeah, so what's your trauma? What's this? Like, feels like they can just talk about everything and ask questions. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. It's if I'm like at work asking all these really personal questions all day and then I hang out with a friend, I do have to like check myself. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Put those walls back up. Well, and I used to be such an open book. Like I just kind of was like, everybody here is safe and they love me mm-hmm. and they want what's best for me. And I should yeah. feel no reason. Like we're all on the same page and these are great people. And then I think just a combination of things like I, um, because I'm fairly easy going in a way and I'm very compliant. And I was actually, I had this talk again with my boss at work. Cause I was like, I feel like I'm getting shuffled around because I'm easy going, but I don't want to be shuffled around. And um, I had that experience in UCL where I like literally had nine pastor leaders in 10 years 
And so to like have to rehash your life story with a new person every single time and then let them speak into your life when they're a stranger, like Mm -hmm. it got old real fast. And at some point I was like, I don't feel like everybody here is mature enough or caring enough to like, and nothing against them. They were trying, but it's like, I don't want to keep getting shuffled around and having to share my whole life story with somebody new all over again. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that is interesting. Like, you know, especially considering what you've said about being a natural leader and always wanting to be that sort of like leading the group and taking control and jumping in and helping things, you know, move forward and and to also then have that like kind of compliant, easygoing nature. I can imagine that gets really tricky. Yes, exactly. And I I think that's something I expressed to my boss was like, just because I am compliant and easygoing doesn't mean that like, you should just assume that this person will slot in anywhere. Like I do still want good leadership. I do still want good support and some consistency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good for you. I'm glad that you were able to like say that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's making me think about how I wonder if, but okay, let me start over. So I have always kind of felt like I wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit. I tend to be an oversharer. And I'm just thinking like, maybe that is part of the childhood experience of being in community and always like, especially as being someone who was in the circle of women in the way that we were told to just like open up and share with people and get advice from people. And mm-hmm. it did kind of transferring over into quote unquote like the real world it kind of allowed me to get screwed over a little bit (laughs) because I was kind of just expecting people to be open and Mm -hmm. wanting to discuss things and uh that that leads that I think for me led me to being taken advantage of a little bit emotionally absolutely Mm -hmm. and I think um there are people in community who intentionally or unintentionally, it's not clear, would absolutely take advantage of that. Like if you're super compliant and you follow the rules, there are people who are control freaks and would take advantage. And Mm -hmm. I've spoken to more than one person that like when they left, you know, like obviously had to go through therapy and other things and like Mm -hmm. learn how to set boundaries because we just don't have any boundaries when you're in community. Everything's what's mine is yours. Yours is mine. Everything's fair game. And like, that's the hardest part about for me of like going home and visiting friends and family. Cause like, I don't feel like I'm one of those ex community members. that's like, I can't be around any of those people. Like I still have great friendships and people that I love and care about, but I'm just a little bit nervous and a little guarded when I'm going to be like an intense community thing, like a wedding or a baby shower or something. It's like, I'll go because I want to support the person that it's for. That's a friend of mine. But like Mm -hmm. I get on edge when like the personal questions start coming out, you know, are they just going to start asking a bunch of stuff that's none of their business? Yeah. And then if you say, I don't want to talk about that, will that boundary be respected? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Mm -hmm. Cause like, so my mom was sick this summer. She's Thankfully, she's doing okay. She's going to be all right. But, like, she was really, really sick, and she was in the hospital. So I had to, like, shift a little bit Um, (laughs) if I, like, disappear. (laughs) And I had to go home for something, and 
she like Lansing, I feel like is so much more of a fishbowl than Ann Arbor. Like I lived in Ann Arbor for six yeah. months and nobody knew I was part of community. They just assumed I was just hanging around and visiting a lot. Like, <laughs> whereas like in Lansing, if you come, they'll like announce it at the very first prayer meeting. Hey, so-and-so is here now. And you're like, invite them to dinner, which I appreciate. It's really nice yeah. that yeah. you're not like a fly on the wall, but mm -hmm. So anyway, like I was home in Lansing for an event and she was sick in the hospital. We didn't really know what was going on. We didn't really know if she was going to be okay or not. And I was like, trying not to like cry. I don't usually cry in front of people ever. And I was just like a basket case. And so mm -hmm. thankfully, like a couple of my friends that know me better that I see more like kind of pull, I was like, please just like protect me because yeah. questions are going to yeah, come good. and everybody's going to want to know. And people are like, yeah. oh, we just want to know what to pray for. And is mm. she going to be okay? Or that's so sad. She's such good friends with my mom. And, and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I eventually had yeah. to do like a French exit and just like get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. Cause like my mom's better now, but even her, like she was like, I don't really want to go to any prayer meetings until I know for sure what's going on yeah. and like what wow. is going to happen. Cause I can't field all the questions. Yeah. Like, See that's totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's so real. Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. Like at some point, when did people like accept the correction and the feedback of like, stop right. asking personal questions right? when it's not your business. Right. That's yeah. prying. Yeah. You know, I do. I think that's an interesting point that you make too. that difference between Lansing and Ann Arbor because it's you know like I think growing up in Ann Arbor we feel like oh it's a fishbowl everyone's in everyone's business but then I remember I had friends in Lansing who I would go visit frequently and it was like yeah on a different level like yeah. we would <laughs> we would be hanging out at my friend's house and then like other kids from community would just come like they wouldn't even knock they would just walk into the house and start hanging out oh and, yeah like like that was just normal. They would all just like go to each other's houses like it was their house. Yeah. And like everyone was always together and people would be like, oh, so-and-so called my mom because she saw me at the store doing, you know, like it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone is just one family. It was wild. Oh, yeah. It's funny because like, so your mom was my women's group leader for like a year or so. And she's yeah. delightful. Yeah. Like wonderful, yeah. wonderful Thanks. woman. And uh, I remember her saying something like that in a women's group meeting, how like one time someone walked in the house and she's just like, that's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're going to have to call ahead or knock. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This isn't how this is. Yeah. That's how I was like her. So you're welcome anytime and it's an open house but you better let me know yeah. <laughs> just let me know yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah do you mind talking a little bit about what it was like becoming a leader going from being a member of community to taking on a position of leadership and maybe what the training was like for that and your experiences uh shifting roles in that way yeah trying to like scratch my head and remember because it kind of happened fairly organically. I think like if you were just around enough and participated enough and like were vocal enough, then mm -hmm. at some point you might get like tapped on the shoulder or invited to things okay. like, Hey, would you consider? Cause a lot of times it was like, we just need like butts and seats to like fill this role. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't necessarily like you raise your hand. Cause like I've heard people be like, no one ever asked me to do X, Y, Z. And I was like, I never had to be like, I didn't have to ask to do any of this stuff. I just was here a lot. And yeah. so I got invited yeah. to things 
And I think, you know, hopefully I was living my life enough of it, like as a perfect example of what we wanted our people to be doing, you know, maybe not hopefully, but like I was living the life and yeah. living it the way it was supposed to be lived. Mm-hmm. And so I think naturally you're like, okay, this person serves a lot. They say yes to everything. They're here a lot. They believe in what we believe. So they'll probably be a good person to like right. be in leadership. Like we didn't typically put people in a role that they couldn't fulfill or where they'd be like a bad example, so to speak. So yeah. 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 So just a lot of that. And like, yeah. Yeah. And we'd get trainings on like, you know, also just how to handle difficult stuff. Cause like whether you're a therapist or not, if you're having these meetings with people and you're like a good listening ear, they might start sharing really complicated things with you. Totally. Um, So there was some training and direction on like what to do from there. Like if they're mentioning self-harm that's good, or like other serious things where to refer them. So I thought that was pretty good. Okay. There was like, Oh, I remember like, be really careful about female friendships that are getting too close. Cause it could veer into like homosexual attraction and they're probably confused. Oh, and, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. That happens. Yeah. What? Know, like, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So they knew like, that it was more happening. <laughs> so just like, don't encourage like, cuddle fests and stuff wow. like in household like I, I was oblivious I didn't know that stuff went on but whoa really I don't think I knew yeah I mean I knew there was obviously a lot of intense direction around opposite sex relationships yeah. but I didn't realize it was um also a little bit like yeah yeah interesting probably came up maybe once a year in a okay. talk or a training or something yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. And we had like training and like how to do deliverance prayers, which is like freedom from evil spirits. So, oh, wow. So I did a couple of those wow. and we had people that were like more experienced that would be there with us. Cause they're like, you don't want to like invite any, I mean, it seems so weird now to talk about, but like, you know, you don't want to like open up any spirits that you can't handle. It's like Jumanji or something, you yeah, know? Yeah, no, I, I'm, totally. Wow. I remember that. Like, Me too. Yeah, you have to be really well trained and prepared to begin a prayer like that because, yeah, Sorry. you don't know, like, what's going to come out or what's going to happen. And Oh, yeah. You want to make Bring sure in you bigger guns. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What do you make have of all that of the word there. now? <laughs> Right. Men are yeah. better at casting out demons. <laughs> They're obviously. just stronger. They can handle it more, you know? I don't know if you guys have seen the all women Ghostbusters, but it's pretty good. <laughs> can handle it. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What do you um, think about all that now? I think, honestly, I feel like it's a little bit arrogant slash naive to treat some of that stuff spiritually. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this person was a victim of sexual assault. So for sure, basically the idea was that like, if they have any kind of trauma in their life, that that would invite evil spirits into their life that would affect them and create like roadblocks to their spiritual development. So like we need to have deliverance for sure. Mm -hmm. Probably need to have a male servant of the word or some sort of strong male presence there Mm -hmm. to help pray with them because they're going to invite some big spirits. And I feel like treating trauma that way is just so confusing and so murky and damaging. 
problematic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like trauma often comes with a lot of shame already. And mm-hmm. so to then feel like you also now have evil spirits is yeah. like, yeah, I'm just thinking of, you know, traumas that make you feel like you're damaged or you're, you know, yeah. less than, mm-hmm. and then to be spiritually treated that way too would be that's tough interesting yeah like I was in um I think it's called formation so like when you're in UCO if you really wanted to like continue down the path towards eventually making like a community commitment like you would be in what's called formation and there'd be different you know you'd start as a freshman and you have a women's group for the first time and a pastor leader and all these talks on like basic christian living and mm-hmm. just continue through like they had these very defined courses that you would go to okay um and part of your first year was going through deliverance everybody had to and i remember like my roommate just kind of being like like i was nervous it was like this rite of passage and i was like i know this is something we're supposed to do i feel kind of nervous about it i don't know what to expect is it going to be like the exorcist like what is this and she's like just be honest just be very open very vulnerable and like i thank god that like the people facilitating mine were like good people with good hearts who didn't abuse the situation i don't think everybody had that um and on the one hand like I guess the one positive thing I can say about it is like it did get you thinking about the ways in which different hurts or traumas can affect you later in life. I don't think necessarily it had to be spiritual, but I remember things came up like, hey, you had a hard time making friends in elementary school. I know that you felt kind of left out and lonely. I wonder if that affected. Let's just pray over that memory. Let's pray over Hmm. that experience, which I thought was kind of nice. Yeah, that is. You know, Um, I don't feel like. I had it. I mean, now as an adult, as I'm reflecting my life and why I do what I do and the decisions that I make, like I really dig into more of that stuff. Like maybe that was more damaging than I gave it credit for. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, I thought that was helpful to just kind of reflect like, oh, this is why I'm a yes man. This is why, you know, this for or sure. that. Yeah. If nothing else to bring up with my therapist. Yeah. Right. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that it sounds like can be a really good thing if it is, like you said, you know, an environment where you trust people and they have your best interests at heart and they're just kind of trying to help you like process through some of those things and like Mm -hmm. consider, yeah, like what might still be kind of hanging out and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I can see how that would, yeah, could also go very very quickly. Badly. Yes. Yeah. So there's things like, have you ever, like, they had a list of questions to go through of things that you should, like, if you didn't know what to pray into, you could kind of ask these questions. So I remember like praying over people to be like, have you ever like touched yourself or done any type of self pleasure that cool. also can invite evil spirits into your life? Let's pray over that. So like, there's other things too, which are like, create like a lot of undue shame. Yes. Um, and like, oh, I let a demon in because of this, like, Oof. you know, which at the time I was, it just didn't even occur because it was like, everyone's speaking so calmly and so lovingly. And usually it's somebody that you kind of know fairly well. And we would always make sure that whoever was in the deliverance was someone that you kind of felt comfortable with and knew and trusted. So it feels very like sort of normal, but then you take a step back and you're like, oh no, that's super messed up. Like, yeah. Yeah. So this It's interesting because, like, Jackie and I both left before we left high school. So, or, like, Mm -hmm. I kind of left after I graduated high school-ish. And 
so we never went through the sort of like becoming an adult member yeah. process and like mm-hmm. like I didn't even know this was a thing and I you know grew up in this yeah so, <laughs> so it was just very yeah very interesting to be like oh this is what this is what would have happened mm-hmm. if I had like stayed yeah. in yeah and I went through my early adulthood in college in Lansing, so I didn't move to, like, Ann Arbor, Detroit till I was 25. So some of it's a Lansing thing. Like, okay. we just have more prayer meetings. We meet every single week. Right. And, you know, you meet women's groups every other week. And, like, it's just the level of commitment and activity is, like, much, much higher, which is probably why they're closer to each other, too. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, yeah. So if you grew up in it, you feel like, oh, yeah, these are all my aunts and uncles. These are all my cousins, basically. But if you didn't grow up in it or you're coming into it from the outside, it can be it can feel difficult to like break in unless you're like 100 percent bought in with everything. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you ever um, like is there anyone you can think of who maybe did try to like join later on where that was sort of where you saw something like that? like where it was hard for them to kind of break in? Yes. I think um, our UCO, that was kind of our reputation, was it was like a community kids click. And so for people that were new, it could feel really difficult. Like it wasn't as evangelistic, so to speak. Okay. Um, Whereas Ann Arbor, like initially Ann Arbor, like when I was a freshman, it was a really small UCO and it was like, your idea of a social event is like pizza and C.S. Lewis discussion. <laughs> like, that's so lame. Accurate. And then it felt like overnight, all of a sudden, I don't know what all happened. Like, I mean, I talked to one person who was a leader there and he's like, we just prayed for the Holy Spirit and he came, you know, the so cool, whatever happened, like all of a sudden it got really evangelistic and like, yeah. they got a lot yeah. of new people. And so really the community kids were kind of the ones on the fringes. It was like the new people that wanted to be there that were leading the charge. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm so out of touch with what UCO is doing in Lansing now. I feel like it's gotten better as far as I know, but yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I just, I mean, in Lansing, like the expectation for commitment is just way higher. Like, and there's a lot of kind of judgment if you're not like a hundred percent bought in, if you're just kind of, dipping your toe in and doing what you feel like or whatever, like they're going to at some point just kind of be like, so are you in or out? You know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking back to my brief experience with, so I did leave community with my parents when I was like 14 or 15, but I was still very Catholic and still Mm -hmm. kind of going in and out of like ignite meetings and UCO meetings simply because that's where all my friends were. Um, Mm -hmm. and my, my mom kind of wanted me to keep doing it. Um, but I'm just thinking back to like, when I was in Grand Rapids for college, I went to a couple Grand Valley UCO meetings just to like, see what was going on, you know, see my friends and stuff. And it was very focused on outreach. And like, we had like meetings in, at the college campus and we would like be encouraged to go up to people and be like, Hey, this is what we're doing. Like, do you want to come join? And that was most of my, where my hesitancy came from of like, okay, I don't actually want to be doing this. Cause I'm, I'm here kind of just to like hang out, but it was so focused on evangelizing people that yeah. it was, it was pretty, that, that was a level that I didn't get from ignite, which is the high school level. Um, yeah. But I, I felt like in that, 
Grand Rapids bubble was a lot of Ann Arbor people. So it's, yeah. it's kind of bled into that area too. Hmm. Absolutely. Wow. And I think, um, like I remember in my UCO days, like one of the events we would always do in the fall was we would help people move in the dorms. So we'd have like our, and I think probably a lot of different outreaches did the same thing. It wasn't just a UCO thing, but like we would have our shirts on and we'd help them move their stuff in and then invite them to like a prayer meeting, which I never felt comfortable with that. Like yeah. going up yeah. to strangers. It's hard. I, I mean, it's funny because like I'm in sales now and I do very well in sales, like talking to strangers and getting yeah. them to do stuff. But like at the time I was just like, why do they have to be strings attached? You know? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like, why can't I be friends with someone and just let them be who they are? And then I'm either their friend or I'm not, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And they can generate their own interest towards this if they want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I think that was more my parents' approach. Definitely my mom's more so. Like where she's like, if my life isn't enough of an attractive witness to this person, then that's my fault. You mm -hmm. know, they don't need to like, she just never was like, I'll, I won't do street evangelism. I don't, I won't do prayer chains. I won't do like 40 days for life. She's like, I don't feel like that's an effective witness. I don't think it helps anything. Like I'll pray and I yeah. like have my yeah. beliefs, but you know, lead by example. they'll see it by my actions more than anything. Yeah, yeah. totally. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes here. Taking sorry. it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Sorry. No, 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 no. Sorry. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. It's so much. And like, no, it's, it's, I'm sure yeah. for ED too, like just bring up so many different memories and conversations and like, it's just yeah. a lot to reflect on. Yeah. I think this whole, like, I mean, just to take a, a moment and reflect on like doing the experience of this podcast in general is like, I, I do feel like very resolved with my experience and like good with my decisions and at peace with my life and my family and all of that like I'm mm -hmm. very blessed that way but like remembering all of these things is I was in a, a social work class a couple of days ago because I'm in grad school right now and um I started talking about transpersonal theory which is mm. like a theory to sort of help explain or like work with spiritual experiences that people have because people do have very spiritual and strange experiences but the professor was like so has anybody ever like had anything like that and I I literally it was a zoom class and I just left I just closed the zoom and I emailed my professor and I was like look this is a little too close to home for me I'm gonna go through the powerpoint on my own later <laughs> Like, wow. I can't do this right now. And it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there was, like, more to process from all of this than I maybe originally thought when mm -hmm. we started this. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's something I thought about a lot, too. It's, like, one of the things I've been working on recently is just, like, overcoming black and white thinking and, like, yeah. very easy answers. Because I think so much. <laughs> yes. And because especially in community, it's, like, you've got to be so intentional about your actions. You don't just do anything for the hell of it. Like, you've got to have a reason. And so, like, I thought, oh, like, what reason would I give for why I'm not involved anymore? What am I doing with my life? Do I need to answer for things? Was it all good? Was it all bad? You know, mm -hmm. and it's just been really interesting to kind of like workshop all those thoughts and be like, it was great. Like it yeah, wasn't totally, I mean, there's really wonderful people who are in it for the right reasons mm -hmm. who had, you know, very tangible experience of yeah. what they 
See, yeah. that's God. And I don't, I don't leave saying like, well, God doesn't exist. It was all BS. Like, right. I don't feel that way. Like, right. I'm kind of, I have to get out and yeah. then I'll slowly add back in the things that are helpful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's been my approach, I guess. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that is sort of like where I'm at also is that it is just such a gray area. Like, I don't think everyone was faking everything that I saw, you know, there's right. no way, like, there was too much and there yeah. was too and I know that like groupthink is powerful and all the you know but there yes. were like so many when you grow up seeing like that many spiritual experiences all the time mm-hmm. for me it's like impossible to think that it was all fake mm-hmm. or to yeah. think that like all of it was totally legit right. <laughs> you know it's like yeah, yeah there's this right. like it's somewhere in the middle and I don't know what that means yeah. for the universe. Yeah. But like there's things I prayed about like discerning decisions and I feel like there's some times where I would pray and discern because I felt a lot of outside pressure to make a decision in one way or the other. Yeah. And so in that sense, I was like, I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit or if that was just me talking myself into doing what mm-hmm. I felt like everybody else wanted me to do. Totally. Um, but there's been other situations like meeting my husband, for example, where it was just like, so crazy to me like I never had that experience of like this is just the person you're supposed to marry like it's just a fact you know yeah totally and he felt the same and we were on the same page and like it doesn't mean that it's like rainbows and champagne and bubble baths but like we kind of knew the whole time like this is my person and we're gonna do it together you know yeah 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 and from my experience it's very much similar where I I have had those experiences, so I know that it is something. And I, mm-hmm. my understanding of it, it was honestly like a hard transition. And I wonder what it was like for you, Ellen, going out of community, just because there is a lot of grief in letting some of that go mm-hmm. and understanding that you may have misunderstood some things. And um, yeah, I guess I just, I'm curious what that process was like for you. And I know that you are still still have your your faith and um but you know as far as leaving community mm-hmm. what was that process like emotionally it was so gradual like little by little mm-hmm. that I don't feel like it was ever this like big sudden oh my gosh now what you know okay. I'm like untethered yeah. so I mean just to kind of give a little bit of background so we were in Detroit we were in our men's and women's groups and I personally didn't feel like I was getting like my job changed and my schedule at work was more demanding and I was like doing really well at work and for for me and my husband I think where things started to have a disconnect was like so we're married we don't have children it's not by choice and I've always been the breadwinner in our relationship which is also not necessarily by choice it's just practical circumstances Mm -hmm. and we just didn't quite feel like we fit in totally and like I think my husband was starting to kind of feel like this wasn't helpful before I was because he was Mm -hmm. like truth be told very judged for by people like for a lot of things which I won't get into here and Mm -hmm. uh it could be times where I might be the only person that would show up to a community lord's day and they'd be like where's your husband you know and like why isn't he here and so initially when we were first married I was like trying to like you know, muscle him into like participating and like, lead me, damn it. Like, you know, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader. You're supposed to be the one that like gets me up on time for church. Like, cause that's how my dad was, you know? And, um, at some point I was like, 
it was difficult. It definitely yeah. caused a big rift in our marriage and our relationship. And at some point, like, and I felt a lot of stress, like, oh, he's not being as like, and he's probably more spiritual than I am and definitely mm-hmm. like more discerning and wiser and like just as far as a person, just like a better person than I am and like way more generous and kind and forgiving and <laughs> all those things. I could go on and on. He's Aww. just a better person than I am. Um, and yet I was like judging him because he wasn't participating in things. And it was like causing this big rift. And I just was like, you're not fitting the mold. And then at some point I was like, screw it. Like, who cares? You know, like our first responsibilities to each other. And so we were already kind of feeling disconnected and feeling like we weren't getting much out of the pastoral care, pastoral leadership. And like, it wasn't very helpful. And then he had an opportunity to go to Toronto for grad school. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it'd be good to just kind of take a break. So I did reach out to like, there is a community there. And I did reach out to one contact that I had there, but nothing ever came of it. And we didn't have a car when we were there and they're like in the suburbs. So we just kind of lived our own life. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Like I can pray if I want to, no one's going to (laughs) come find me if I don't. Yeah, I can go to church on Sunday or I can sleep in like, and I was just sort of like rumspringer, you know, I was like, (laughs) sweet. I have all this freedom to like, and I was like, I mean, I'm not necessarily like, I was like, I still believe in God. I just feel like I have that freedom and just peace with myself. Like I'm not judging myself. I'm not judging my husband. We're just kind of like doing our own thing and finding out what's helpful or not helpful. And it really like helped us a lot. Um, And then when we moved back, we kind of like considered coming back to community. I was like, I kind of miss that. I do miss the relationships. I didn't have any like strong, what's the word? whatever. I can't think of the word. So I didn't have any strong reason not to, but I think in terms of wrestling with the black and white, like good and bad things happened, but Mm -hmm. I just feel like we do better, like being responsible for ourselves, making our own decisions, owning our own decisions and not just like living to please others and conform. Like it just ended up not being helpful for our relationship and our marriage. And especially like, feeling like people make value judgments about you for things that aren't spiritual, like whether you work more or you make yeah, more money totally. or you have children, like none of that matters. No, it's right. not like scriptural that mm-hmm. it has to look like June Cleaver in the 1950s, <laughs> you know, or that you're yeah inherently have a bad family life because you can like make, I don't know, Tuesday dinner might be in front of Netflix with like chips and guac and yeah. like yeah. beer, you know, right. like, that's yeah. our family dinner, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I totally. imagine being so immersed in the environment of like the men being the breadwinner and the man being the spiritual mm-hmm. leader and the man being the one who makes all the shots. Like, I imagine that would be really hard to continue being part of that kind of cultural mm-hmm. expectancy. Yeah. Especially when you were saying that, like, you know, he didn't have a license until that point because he had a disability at the time or whatever. You know, it's like there's, things that are just not being that there's just not room for um that's just too bad yeah 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 Yeah. she has a license now he has a good job now and like really truly when he said like you know find your spouse and build your house like i mean we have a house now like we've we've been able to get a little bit more established and get things under control and like yeah it's awesome it's crazy to me like i don't I don't carry around a ton of bitterness, but I do have like 
comments and things that have been said to me that stick with me. Like, and a lot of them, I mean, I love my parents, so I hope they don't listen to this, but like (laughs) things like I was doing extremely well at work, like real talk, like making a lot of money and Mm -hmm. like doing very well and getting advancement, getting promotions, awards, like all this kind of stuff. And my parents question every time they see me is like, does this mean that you don't have to work weekends anymore? Like, or then when, when Eric, my husband got his job, they're like, oh, sweet. So he can work full time and you don't have to work as much. Like that was like the ultimate epitome of of work accomplishment is to like not have to work anymore so my husband can take care of me well you know really enjoying work and getting fulfillment from it and right yeah that's tough. yeah that is tough Mm -hmm. I'm glad that the experience of leaving wasn't like a huge explosion I know that you know for myself and Evie as well it was pretty smooth probably comparatively to what some people have experienced but that doesn't make it any less hard you know yeah and that that shift you know being around people so much and kind of moving from having a community to kind of building your own can be it can be hard mm-hmm. yeah and I think we you know it's kind of like well, okay well you're just on your own you know and maybe yeah. like you know, for the folks that are still in it, there might be whisperings and speculation as to why people left. And, yep. you know, there might be some value judgments added in there. Like, well, that's because they're X, Y, and Z. And that's why they didn't want to be in it anymore. And like that stuff definitely happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most part, it's like you can kind of feel isolated and on your own, uh, which again, is like, I'm glad that things like this podcast exist, which is not meant to be like an X community gripe fest, but right. it right. is helpful to hear that like, you know, there's good and bad. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, when you try to bring up the negative stuff, they're like, well, no one ever said community was perfect. You know, yeah. and it's like, no, it mm-hmm. sure as shit isn't. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> and so for some people, it's very unhelpful, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. It's actually like not good, yeah. you know, and, and that's okay. Yeah. And right. It doesn't make that person flawed or weak because right. they couldn't hack it excuse me yeah and you know? it's also okay to let even if you do want to stay in and and whatever it's I think still good and healthy to talk about like the problems and mm-hmm. especially the problems in the history like I know there's so many stories of abuses that happen that like yes I don't even feel comfortable talking about because they're not public and they're right. not my story and whatever you know and it's like I remember when I started learning about them and I found like an article about it and I posted it to my Facebook like 10 years ago and I was just like did anybody else know this like did anyone else in community know this happened like really just curious and a lot of people our age were like whoa no I didn't know that you know and then older yeah generation was kind of like well we, d- we just don't talk about it like that was the old days you yeah. know we don't need to dwell on it or and then um but yeah I don't know I just really felt that like if I'm growing up in this and the expectation is that I'm going to join it and it is supposed to be this like huge part of my life, I feel like I have a right to know what I'm joining, like Mm -hmm. to know where it came from and what went wrong before so that, you know, we can make sure it doesn't happen again Mm or I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because like something I've definitely reflected a lot on over the last couple of years is like, is there a future for community or is it going to like die off with our parents' generation? Because I feel like there's certain ways in which it hasn't aged well. I think 
definitely with like the political climate, you know, I mean, you've got like QAnon conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. and like other folks, not to be super to bring that into it, but like you do have that. And I know like that's yeah. caused a big rift in Lansing right now too. Oh, wow. Um, And I was talking with my best friend about this and I was just, and like Eric and I were talking about this and he was kind of getting frustrated. Like, he's like, you act like everybody was like sinister. Like you missed out on all this stuff because everybody was trying to like control and manipulate you when you were younger and then didn't Mm -hmm. let you have any fun. And like, there is a piece of me that's kind of grieved not having a little bit more freedom and like freedom to make my own choices when I was younger and like feeling like I'm stuck now in certain ways. And he's like, the people that were like leading the way and making these decisions believed those things too. And they didn't do it. Like they're not sitting there twisting their mustaches behind some like evil layer. Like how can we subjugate these women? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Um, They believed in those things and they believed in the logic behind it. And so did the women. Yep. Um, And so I was talking to my best friend about it and she's like, I agree with that to a point. However, if they have been called out, for the ways in which their actions have produced bad fruit or been harmful to people, if they double down and yeah, are like, well, totally. that's your problem. You misinterpreted things and that's not what we meant. And basically gaslit everybody yeah. versus being like, you're right. We repent. Mm-hmm. That was wrong. Let's move forward. And I think there's been like pockets of repentance and making amends. And like, there's ways in which like Lansing was like nuts in the seventies. And they, in so many ways, like, has learned from that experience and gotten better but I guess for there to be a way forward there's definitely got to be because like there's so many wonderful things that are worth protecting and preserving um but it has to be like a certain level of humility and like genuine repentance and not carrying around this idea of we have it all figured out right we're the ones doing it right right and everyone else is doing it wrong yeah like Uh, take some ownership at least of like even if you don't see how it hurt people like acknowledge that it did hurt people and mm-hmm. then try to figure out how to fix it right yeah. they're not bad because they got hurt you right. know or if you're like a woman that was taken advantage of it's not because of what you were wearing exactly you know yeah. this shouldn't have happened whether you're walking down the street buck naked it doesn't matter mm-hmm. like right. that shouldn't have happened mm-hmm. you know right yeah well that is a good strong note to end on i think (laughs) (laughs) let's let people sit with that including myself that's a really yeah that's a solid point yeah we really appreciate you coming on this was a really fruitful conversation and i'm really yeah grateful to you for sharing your your experiences yeah thank you so much yeah thank you this was fun good yeah do you have Uh, anything else that you feel like you want to mention before we sign off that's a really good question. Um, I guess for anybody listening, I would say like, I don't have hard feelings and mm-hmm. I don't fault anybody for wanting to still be in community and to mm-hmm. live that way of life. Like this isn't meant to be like a, like I said, like a gripe session or an right. attack on anything, mm-hmm. but I would challenge those who are in it to like take the stories and the experiences of people who left seriously. They're not necessarily isolated incidents and they're not Mm -hmm. all one-offs, you know, and that there's good feedback there if they choose to like take it in and hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. For sure. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ellen. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you to everybody who is listening. Um, Feel Mm -hmm. free to, 
rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, there's a Facebook page to know too. You can like it, follow it, share it through all your social media platforms. We are available on Spotify, Google, Apple. SoundCloud has our two first episodes, but all the other ones are on the bigger <laughs> platforms. So make sure you scooch on over there to hear the rest. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.